He feels good. Things are going well. He just might be the president somewhere. He's the head of state. <laughs> All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. That was a song by the Nate Dog from the most iconic movie, Head of State. Head of State was one of my favorite movies growing up. It's Chris Rock uh, as Maze Gilliam trying to become president. I think it came out in 2001 or 2000, maybe 2000 when the president, when they were running for president. What a funny movie, man. Super funny movie. All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. I'm your host, stand-up comedian, two-time wrestling champion, Jared Waters. This podcast is about making time capsules of people that we meet throughout life. It's a time capsule of emotion, time capsule of thoughts that we make for a person's great-great-grandchildren so they can have their authentic thoughts. Also, this is a podcast about being alone with your own thoughts. So this is me right now, alone with my own thoughts, and we wrap up the week. And also, this podcast, when we don't do that, when we're not alone with our own thoughts, we're not making time capsule, we review the iconic show, One uh, One Tree Hill. That's what it's called, One Tree Hill. Uh, shout out to all those tree heads that hit me up. They've been hitting me up for weeks, asking me to get back onto the reviews, and I finally did it. It's been a busy week, a busy month, a busy year, but it's good. It's good to have work in this pandemic. It's very good. Uh, let's wrap up the week. Let's see what's going on. A lot of people still hitting me up with all these emails about these people. Uh, I put their their contact information if you want to hit my dear friend, uh, Miss B, <coughs> Miss Sarah. She is... She's down to talk about being orthodox. She's down to do it. She has uh, she writes poetry. She does a blog. A lot of people, uh, a lot of good feedback on our dear friend Jenny. She doesn't want to be hit up. So just, you know, just hit us up, and we can just read your email live and what you want to say to her. But, yeah, that's amazing. Her story is amazing. And this week, <clears throat> we got my dear friend Alora Bellinger, ladies and gentlemen. Alora Bellinger, we met. I would say 19 years ago as well. So it's good. And shout out to my dudes out there emailing me. When are we going to put more dudes on the podcast? It's a good point. The reason why it's kind of hard, because a lot of dudes have a hard time being vulnerable and being emotional about their their life, you know? And also, I've had a lot of dudes up there, and they're like, hey, we can't put this out. Nah, I reveal too much. So sometimes, there's, and especially in this podcast, we bring people up to the hill and we have a time capsule, and, you know, they don't want their time capsule out, and we don't edit here. We don't edit at all. We don't edit anybody's story. This is your life story. Everything you say, you say for the people, and after that we move, and if someone keeps hitting me up, like, can you edit this out? Can you edit this out? Can you not mention this name? I'm like, this podcast is not for you, ladies and gentlemen, because if you're having your great-great-grandkids, if you have anyone else, and they want an idea, and they want your story, that's your story. Your story's not going to be Fake names are beeps and beeps and beeps, so that's what happens. So we got some we got some heat coming up. We got some heat. So this Tuesday is my dear friend Alora Bellinger. We're talking about her time capsule. We're uh, she's we're talking about her life story. So that's what's going on. So this week has been a really good week. New York City. We're in. I don't even know what phase we're in, but they have allowed people to be inside restaurants at twenty five percent capacity, which is really tough for businesses to make money is really tough for waitresses to make it's really tough for that whole industry you know the only good thing about this pandemic is all these freaking bougie excuse my language these freaking bougie restaurants who say oh we don't we don't uh <laughs> we don't deliver we don't deliver we're only in dining that's what we are but since it got shut down we'll deliver you want some uh froyo we'll deliver that so now people are really getting adjusted to the time sometimes people just don't want to sit and wait three hours to get some food or wait in line, do all this other, and put fancy dresses on, F that stuff, you know, send the food to the crib. You could light up a little, uh, what type of candle is this? Light up yourself a Yankee candle of you and your old lady or you and your dude, whatever you're doing, light that bad boy up, turn that heat down on about 78, 78, 80, warm up that house, put a little Gatorade inside, some wine glasses, boom, you got your little fancy dinner, you know? So everything's at 25% capacity, so now comedy's starting to go inside, a lot of people are still outside because it's getting a little little chilly out here in New York City. But, you know, F it. I'm out here. I got my freaking uh, overall zone, hoodie, everything. So 25% capacity. Uh, Monday rained really, not really bad, but it just rained. And it seems like when it rains, the city shuts down. And especially comedy, the city shuts down. So at a show, uh, 
in Queens. Booker hits me up. Hey, we're going to cancel because of the rain. I say, I got an umbrella. Yeah, but you're the only one that wants to do it. So I'm thinking about starting a Monday, a Monday show. We could take training day to Mondays. We already got Wednesdays. We do training day to Mondays. Tuesday, you know, same thing. Didn't rain, though. Didn't rain, but this comedy show I was trying to do, do cancel it, week on ticket sales. But I was like, you know, F it. So I go to Take It Outside Comedy. That's in Brooklyn. I love going to those shows. Good guys, Daniel and uh, Santiago, good dudes. And we see our boy Mark Gregory. Mark Gregory, if you're not aware, is the descendant and heir of the iconic legend Dick Gregory, who was his birthday. Dick Gregory is probably one of the, the wisest, wisest stand-up comedians. If you don't know, Dick Gregory is a civil rights activist, and he was the first black comedian ever to do The Tonight Show. Jack Parr, I think. And I guess some the story goes, I'm not I'm not butchering the story, but this is just off my head that you know, he didn't want stay Jack Parr asked him or whoever was doing the tonight show asked Dick Gregory why he didn't do the tonight show because he goes, You don't got no black people sitting on the couch. And he goes, What? He said, Yeah, there's no black boys. They do tell jokes, but nobody sits down on the couch for interviews. And he was the first black comic to get on the tonight show and sit down and do the banter segment. And that's it. Like Dick Gregory was, he opened he opened up for Martin Luther King Jr. on the I Have a Dream speech. Dick Gregory was there with Nina Simone. This man has seen everything. And Mark Gregory was at the feet of him. At the feet of him. Mark Gregory, he's a vegan as well. <clears throat> but he lit that show up. Sometimes it's like when you've been doing stand-up for a long time, especially doing both rooms, Mark Gregory has the ability to do urban up. Main rooms, whatever rooms he can do it. So you could tell he that boy is oozed up with experience. So he does that, does really well, and we're all just chopping it up about the week and everything else. So let's play a clip. I want to play a clip of Dick Gregory. This is one of my favorite jokes that he does when he's talking about the. It's called the Black Caucus, right? It's where like every year black people get together, black leaders inside the community. They talk about like what are our demands, everything else. Uh, the government really doesn't hear it, but. We hear it, and we're trying to put each other on. So this is Dick Gregory in 2008. So this is the great Dick Gregory. Gregory. It's called the State of the Black Union, ladies and gentlemen. This is 2008, one of my favorite jokes and speeches by Mr. Gregory. And I've got to get down to some some personal business, which you'll probably find out about after we leave here. Uh, I was standing back in the back waiting to come on when you had your sponsors out here. from Walmart for my cousin this past Christmas they had prices so low he didn't have to shoplift was the iconic Dick Gregory and uh it was his birthday this past this past week and uh that's one of the most regrets that I have never getting the chance to sit down and meet him man I remember he came to the Tampa Improv and I just had another show and I couldn't make it but I I wish I would have did that man sometimes it's good to meet these legends before they live to earth and it's good that Mark Gregory which is his nephew and his apprentice has all the stories and everything else and you can kind of get the 
secondhand stories, and a lot of the stuff is on YouTube where you can listen to. But happy birthday to the iconic Dick Gregory. And uh, it's dope just having his, his nephew in the city. Dude's super funny. And he's just oozes with knowledge when knowledge and he p- kicks out game and he's always trying to help other black comics so that's what's important so that was set tuesday excuse me work has been good work has been good i can't complain you know i really love my team that i have i work with a lot of young people and, and young i'm young too but i mean it's good seeing people it's, it's always fun seeing people when they're still that their first real-time big person job you know because they got the nerves they're asking questions and stuff like that and i'm telling them just relax and you'll figure it all out. Figure it all out. I'm here as a resource. I'm not here to influence the way you do your job. I'm just here as a resource to help you, guide you if you ever need help. But I encourage you all to try to figure it out on your own because you'll develop your own philosophy in the way that you move throughout life, not Jared Waters' philosophy because my philosophy is completely different the way I operate life. Wednesday, Training Day Comedy, that's my show. Folks, we packed out that freaking park. Holy F, this is like our ninth show. Every show gets better and better. And uh, I'm talking to these comedians before we have the show. We have, uh, maybe Tuesday night I'm at the Tiny Cover. And I'm talking to the guy who really owns the place. And uh, we're, we're wrapping it up there. He goes, uh, what's up, Jared? What's up? Because everybody's talking about the uh, the chairs being thrown, asking me about the chairs and everything else. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm not scared of no chick throwing no chair at me. Like the freak, no, you know what I mean? I was like, if she was stronger, I wish she would have threw the chair in my face so I would have caught it, and that would have been even more legendary. But, uh, yeah, so he's asking, like, hey, where did that place happen? We're talking about the stories. And he goes, oh, what type of show is it? I was like, a show not like here because y'all don't got no black people on. And he looks at me. He's like, what? I said, look how you say you've been. I said, you watch over 80 shows a week here. How many times do you see the same faces over and over again? There's nothing wrong seeing the same faces. He goes, you know, it's getting kind of repetitive and stuff like that. We got to repeat people. And I said, why don't you get somebody who knows how to book diversity? And I said, if you want to book a diverse show, come to mine, and you'll see what it's about. So I'm talking to this comic up there, and he goes, what's up, Jerry? I said, what's up? What's up, dog? And he goes, what up, man? I really want to come to your show. I said, well, just come out. Pop out, man. He goes, I just feel like your show's like made for cool kids. I said, why? Because there's so much color up there? He goes, what? I said, yeah, what's wrong with that? My goal is to blend every scene. If you're not aware in stand-up comedy, there's different scenes. There's a Hispanic scene for like a lot of Latin comics that have their own developed scene. There's a, what we call an alt scene for like people who do like alty stuff. Then there's an urban scene. It's not really urban, but it's really for black people to tell jokes because there's not a lot of, you know, it's not a lot of diversity inside that. And then there's like the mainstream with all the clubs and everything else. So most of the clubs, there's only really two black comics on a show at the same time which is ironic because black people are the funniest people on the world, on the planet, right? So you figure there'll be more there, but sometimes they'll say, oh, you're too vulgar, you're too this, you're too that. So when you go to these clubs, you know, you can have a great comic like Kareem Green, one of the greatest stand-up comics that walk the face of the earth, and they might not show him love because they might not know him, but he has more credits than anybody inside there. And sometimes when you're at a comedy club, if you see the same name on every single club, you're going to assume inside your mind, and as a comedian, as a group think, I'm keep this name keeps popping up, keeps popping up. This this comic must be the best because I see him on everything. Instead of realizing why isn't other people on these shows, so I tell them like, yo, come to our show, and it's diverse, it's straight diverse. We have women, we have people of color, everything else, and I'm introducing comics that I rock with. To be like, I want you to meet these comics that are, are you know, that do their own thing. So my dog K Smith, K Smith, he does a. Uh, He's really, you know, does he does produces his own shows, really does like some urban shows. And I was like, look, man, you can do 30 minutes. Close this show out. He goes, what? I said, yeah, close it out, man. It's all about bringing the people together, man. I said, so when people ask me, like, who are some funny black comics? Like, well, here they're on there. They're on show with you right now. You know, just don't reach out to the comics you see all the time. Reach out to comics that probably been doing this 10, 15 years, but you don't know because you're not in their scene. So we blended together. Matthew, shout out to Matthew. He's not a, well, he's still a platypus. He's, he's, he's a young platypus. But he's got confidence now. So our show's a whole lot better because when we banter at the beginning, bantering is when two comedians, we like talking. We're trying to make things funny. So I encourage him to like talk more. And if you bomb, not bomb, if you do a joke that doesn't go well, I'll be there to pick you up because I'm on the stage with you. So we're doing bantering, doing crowd work. We've got a lot of stuff for the people to play with. And it's we have a lot of comedians on the show. Sometimes the show's overbooked, but you know I narrow it down. Everyone does like eight minutes, then the show's an hour, then the last comic does thirty or twenty-five, so it doesn't feel that long. And we get like walk-ups. 
So sometimes people might come in an hour into the show. Oh, we were just walking in the park. I said, you want to sit down and take a chair? Yes. So the show's good. We're blending comics. Matthew's getting better. And (laughs) it's like every time I talk to him, he's just like, I want people to know that I'm funny. I was like, then you need to be outside and meet comedians. Instead of sitting on your sitting sitting out there being a platypus, worrying worrying about being funny, you guys sometimes it's about being networking and letting people understand like, oh, you're the producer of the show. As I can only introduce you to so many people, but now he's understanding, he has the grips of it, and now he's out here just shaking and baking. I'm proud of him, but I don't want to be like an eagle hovering over him. I want him to get his steps on his own because you know you teach a man how to fish. I don't know the quote, but you teach a man to fish. I, I'm allergic to seafood, so I don't know what. What can you do when you teach a man how to fish? So that was Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we packed the park out. Another good show. Shout out to the people from the podcast that hit me up. I was like, hey, how'd you hear about the show? I listened to your podcast. Hey, thank you for listening. I appreciate that. Subscribe, rate, and review. So we got that. So we got the park packed out. A lot of people asking what's going to happen when it gets cold. Preferably, I'm saying that we're going to run these shows until, honestly, I'm thinking about getting heat lamps and keeping it outside. I know <laughs> New York City gets cold, but I love having it outside. We're going to look for a different location. We might take go for Brooklyn. We're looking at Dumbo, Brooklyn, to do maybe a Monday, a Monday or Tuesday show. We haven't decided yet, but we're trying to look go to Dumbo, Brooklyn, just to provide something for the comedians to have out there. But I love a story. I love how it's the community based driven. I like how families are out there. I like how people just literally just want to come to the park and have a good time. So that's why we like doing it in Astoria. Uh, our goal is we're going to kick it up, kick it up. We got, I think we're going to put a tent up. Our goal is to put a tent and try to, like, get more chairs. So we got a lot of chairs that we bought some chairs. We got lights. We got everything else. So our goal is to just keep keep putting just keep putting uh, more to the show, you know, because we got pretty much a whole comedy club in our cars. So that was Wednesday. Wednesday was great. Thursday, uh, it, it sucked because I was supposed to do a podcast with my friend Alia Trim. She is a entrepreneur. And I got all the equipment set up, but I forgot the memory card. And I felt bad because she's from Connecticut. And she drove all the way down here, and I didn't have the memory card. And she kept saying that's okay, but she's Trinidadian, so she's probably lying. So we're going to try to reschedule that podcast. Um, so then I had to do sh- – also what happened was I had to do a show in Long Island. So Long Island is, if you're aware of New York City, New York City's like the hub. Long Island is probably like – going from Raleigh to Greenville, North Carolina. Raleigh's, or it's like 30 minutes outside the city. But before that, I do my friend Dwayne Murphy's podcast, which is very good. Uh, me and Dwayne, we started comedy at the same time. We started in Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, I think I was, I was just older than him. I'm not, I think I'm only one year older than him, but when we were in college, I was, I think I was a junior and he was a freshman. Right, but I was always doing stand up before, but he started stand up when he was in high school when I was in college. So we've been doing stand up the same amount of time. And we're having a good time on this podcast talking about outdoor shows and me and him had a, a nasty fallout before. And uh we spoke about it on the podcast about the fallout and he like he brought it up and sometimes you kinda like forget because, you know, when I got up to New York, I realized it was just like there's no there's Nobody wins when the family feuds, you know. We have nothing but great memories when we started out in North Carolina doing. We were doing stand-up when we were good, but we weren't. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, you can't call yourself a stand-up comic if you're getting up once a month. You're not a stand-up comedian. You know, you're not a stand-up comedian if you're doing it once every two weeks. You're not a stand-up comic if you can't play to certain audiences, if we were just playing to colleges. So it was just like everything I thought I was, I wasn't. Like I, if I could go back in time, I was not. I freaking gave Chris Rock my stand-up taste when I just started doing stand-up, saying, hey, check me out. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know? So me and Dwayne, we started in this group called Seriously Clowning. I was coming from a more, like I was hosting like talent shows in colleges and hosting step shows. So I knew a lot of the, a lot of the people on campus but they knew more of the artsy people, so when I got inside the group, I brought a lot of the, I mixed, we were mixing pretty much groups together. So we were talking about fun memories about how I was this, you know, false advertisement. I would go down to a show, just like a talent show downstairs, probably like 100, maybe 250 people. And we had a show upstairs, and the show was almost done, and I was like, everyone, let's restart the show. They're like, what? So I told everyone downstairs, I'm like, hey, we have a free comedy show upstairs. 
We're giving away uh, three PlayStation 3s and three Motorola Razors. Yeah, and an iPod Classic. And next you know, 200 people file upstairs, and I'm going to kick the show again. These people haven't heard your jokes, and we're running. So that's what we used to do in college. We used to bark, <coughs> excuse me, try to get people into shows, everything else. I walk around campus passing out flyers. People want to just... People just want to party in college. They're like, we want comedy. What, on a Friday night? Freak. I'm like, yeah, we want Friday night, Saturday night. Before you get to the club, we want to do 8 to 10. So as soon as you get done, you can go straight to the club. I was like, boom. So we do that one. I think the most, I forgot, I forgot one show. Yeah, that's what we used to do. Yeah, that's what we, so when people, like now, like how Dwayne was saying, how now barking and get people in, being on the street. We've done all that in North Carolina. And then when I got to Florida, it just amped it up because when I went to Florida, I was more into a club scene. So I was with working comedians who would tell me, hey, this joke should be this. This is adult. You should learn how to have universal humor. I had to learn that getting out of the college phase. Me and Dwayne, we had a falling out because it's kind of funny. I used to date this girl. Uh, she was my, uh, we dated in college. And uh, she was a dancer, a beautiful, beautiful black woman, uh, a dancer. And uh, I met her, I don't know how I met her. I do remember how I met. I remember we were at a, just a, I think it's just in class, just in, in passing talk, and I seen her, and uh, you know me being a player from the Himalayas, you know before I, you know before I changed my life, I walk up to her and tell her, you know my name's Jared Warren. She's like, okay, cool, and uh, we exchanged phone numbers, and we started talking. I was like, you know, can I take you out? She goes, where are you gonna take me? I said, shoot, <laughs> to the clouds, and uh, she laughed, blah 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 blah, and we started dating. We started dating. Oh, yeah, we had a dance class together, I think, a dance class. We started dating everything else. Uh, so we started dating, you know, so she starts coming to the crib, everything else. It is what it is. Uh, uh, we started dating. So when I got inside the comedy group, a lot of these comedians didn't know, like, I threw parties at my house, right? So I was like, I lived in Pirates Cove, and I was like, you know, you guys want to throw a party? Come to my house. Me and my roommates were throwing a party. And when I used to throw parties, uh, I had... A group of women had three three white roommates. We throw parties and stuff like that, and you don't have to worry about purchasing anything because they're purchasing anything. And then I got this young nineteen year old kid. And I'm like twenty one at the time. He's eighteen. No, he's eighteen. Just turned eighteen, and he got his own apartment by himself. So this dude is just, this dude is just wild, right? He's wild. Like I'm ending my junior year, going to my senior. I got to get up and do internships, and he's having full blown house parties. And I tell him like, Yo, man, look, I'll throw a party with you, but we got to do it on the weekends, man. I know you want to turn up throughout the day, but look, man, we like work. You got to turn your music down. I know you're trying to rap. I get this and stuff like that, but, dude, we really got jobs here, dude. I said, but give me on the weekend. So we go to the weekend, and he goes, it's all chipping money to buy, you know, alcohol, all this other stuff. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we're charging to get in the door. We're charging to everything else. And at the end of the party, he goes, hey, let's all split the money up. And he only gave me $40 because this is what you put in. And then at the end, I saw this boatload of money inside, and he kept the $500 for himself. He goes, you know, it's my party, da-da-da-da, we're all a team. I was like, good. But what he didn't know is I was taking money in general because I was serving all the drinks. It was $5. I took three off the top. As soon as they gave me three, I put all the money in the microwave. After the party was over, he thought he made 500 He probably made more than that. But I took four. I took 400 No, no, that's ridiculous. He made 400 I took Three hundred other dollars through alcohol and drinks, and he's listening to this podcast. He can let him know. Don't ever try to play Jared Waters because Jared Waters is four steps ahead of you, and I knew you would try to do that. But a good thing I was serving the drinks. When I was serving the drinks, I was taking three dollars off the top because I knew he wouldn't pay me because I knew that he was a blood hungry scoundrel. Wasn't a scoundrel, but whatever. So that's the type of parties we would do. The parties we would do, but I I was all in it for myself. It's like I'm not gonna open up my home and open everything else and not take a cut of this money. So that's what I did. So we split it three ways. And they would try to pay me just a fee to do everything else, but I took my th my third out of it. Shout out to Frank Lucas teaching us how to cut up these deals, right? The reason why I say that because we go to the party, back to me and Dwayne. So we go to this party, and Dwayne's talking to my girl at the time, and he's like, they're talking about nerd stuff, you know. They're talking about playing Mario Kart and everything else. And I was wondering why, because I invited, like, several girls at these parties, and they're all dancing and stuff like that. And he's still talking to her. <laughs> We're inside the laundry room. He goes, what are y'all doing in the laundry room? I said, what the freak you think we're doing in the laundry room? She lives here. <laughs> so at the time, I didn't know he had this iconic crush on The reason why I'm saying this is because on his podcast, I was like, if you would have told me, I would have did this, but I didn't want to make it seem like I'm passing her off because I would never, she's a woman, I've never passed any woman to anybody. But uh, 
this whole time, I didn't never knew that he had this iconic crush on her. I never knew. I just thought that he was trying to be her best friend. And she would tell me, he's like, I'm going to go hang out with Dwayne. I was like, what are y'all about to do? She's like, we're going to go play Mario Kart. He wants me to play Mario Kart at his house. I'm like, all right, whatever. Y'all some nerds, whatever. And then she's like, can I drive your car? And I was like, yeah, take my car. Go to his house. And uh, he's driving my car to go over there. And then when Dwayne fell in love with her, like, I didn't understand because I was like, Dwayne, you, like, you, what? You met her at my house. Who do you think she was here to see? When everyone left the party, she spent the night. Why do you think she spent the night? She wasn't. <laughs> so that's what happened. So the whole time, like, I thought he was mad about something else. So we had a falling out. I remember I walked up to him, and it really wasn't just him. It was just like everybody in this comedic scene had the crush on the same girl. And I was like, y'all met her through me. What a. <laughs> What are y'all doing? Who raised y'all? Shout out to TK Kerr. Who raised? <laughs> yeah, she came here with me. So I, so that's what we had a falling out for. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's like, especially as black men, sometimes we don't talk about our problems. Don't talk about, like, hey, this is it. Because the whole time, you know, he had this issue, but I thought it was over something else. I was, like, asking about different girls. I said, hey, do you know this girl? Is she Nisha? She forgot I said her name. I said, is she, <laughs> is she her roommate? He goes, yeah, I think she's her roommate. I said, all right, freak, I can't talk to her. I'm talking to her roommate. He goes, what? You <laughs> He's like, you're just greedy. I said, I'm in college. I am exploring my options, sir. I'm not connect. My Facebook status hasn't changed for nobody, sir. I am for the people. But uh, so we had a falling out, and I, I, I thought it was for something else, but he said it was that. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't know that it was like that. But, you know, as black men, you got to talk and express yourself. I realized, I was like, dude, man, no friendship is worth throwing it away because of a disagreement or a mis and miscommunication. It was just miscommunication. Because he knew, like, yo, man, I never fight over women. You know what I did? Now I will. Now I would. Now my lady, I'll have to, you know, stab somebody for that. But at the time, I was never the type of dude to get jealous or to fight over a woman. I was like, there's billions of women on the world. Like, why do you have to, why does everyone have to talk to the same one? You know, but I'm so glad me and him chopped it up. I seen him two weeks ago. He came to New York. He did my show. And it was great. But that's what I say as as black men, you have to express yourself. You have to express yourself and realize if you're hurt and someone's hurt you, you have to express that feeling. And that's what happened. This is the I'm babbling, but this is how we ended the story. We met in Brooklyn, I finally moved to New York. He goes, Can I talk to you? I was like, Yeah. And I was like, ah, I'm not gonna hit him or anything. I was like, Well, you know, I've let bygones be bygones, we dapper, we embrace. And we sat down, we had that conversation. It's like, yo, this is what I was upset about. I was mad about you like this. I tried to hurt you by doing this. And I was like, Oh, I thought you tr- were doing that because you inspired me. And after we hashed it out, I was like, look, man, nobody wins with the family feuds. We got strength in numbers, man. We always got to stick together. And having him as a brother again is amazing, man. Now I know I got a comic in Chicago getting his stripes up, and he knows if he ever comes to New York, he got a place. So that was Dwayne's Dwayne's podcast that we did. Then Thursday, we go to Long Island. Very dope show. Very dope show. And what I like about the show was there's a lot of fire on the show. Uh, I meet this young stand-up comedian. This is She's very young in comedy, right? And I knew she was young because when I got in the car, I asked her where she was from, and she started giving me her jokes. And I was like, all right, if this is going to be an open mic, don't speak to me in the car. And it's not me being mean. It's just like I don't want to be – like don't tell me jokes the whole night in the back of a car. Like I'm not down for that. You know, be a person. Let's talk about life. You know, so she's, you know, still trying to say the same bit all the time, so I just put my headphones on. It's like I'm not going to – Let's let's be real. You don't have to be on stage with me. So uh, she does the show. And the reason why I say that, because she does another show Friday. And she bombs. She bombs pretty bad. She bombs in the park. And she asked me, like, how was it? I was like, you were on stage. You heard what happened. She goes, what do you think? I said, you should move around. Like, try to embrace the people. Don't be scared to tell your jokes. Don't get into this phase. Like, when you're at an open mic, if you bomb, it's funny because comics are laughing at the attempt of you bombing, so you get in that habit of saying, I'm, I don't give an F because I'm bombing, whatever. It's not good. It's not a good trait to have. You'll develop that in New York. But if you're from a different state or a different town, when you go to open mics, there's like 60 people there, and you got to bring the pain or you do your A material because an open mic feels like a show, right? So she's doing the jokes, not going too well, and then she says something to me, and, I'm, and I was like, how long have you been doing stand-up? She's like, only maybe a year. And I was like, this comes with time and experience. And she goes, I didn't know how much time I was doing. I thought I was only doing five minutes. I said, what spot in New York City do you do for five minutes that's not an open mic? And she goes, well, what do you think? I was like, why are you taking out your phone to look at jokes? I was like, this is a show. She goes, well, I didn't get paid for this show. I was like, even if you didn't get paid for the show, there's people in front of you, and you should be a servitude to give the people entertainment. 
people don't want to come outside and be entertained by you not attempting to make them laugh. You already accepting defeat. The crowd sees it, and they're not going to pay attention to you. And I can see it in her eyes. She's, like, tearing up a little bit. And I was like, it's not to come down on you. I was like, but I love comedy. I love everything about it. I study it. I know exactly what's going on because I know when you tell me you don't care, that hurts me because I care about standing. I know a lot of people are sitting at a show right now networking, willing to be on stage and having this opportunity that you have that you forgot about this opportunity and didn't care for. You're like, asking like, what did my friends leave during my set? Don't I don't give a F of your friends left of your set. How are you connecting with this crowd? This is just me being passionate about it. So the reason why I say that is because that Thursday we're on the same show together. Okay, she does okay, right? Other comments are going up. Talon Harris kills people killing Julio Diaz. And that's one of my favorite comics in New York City because you know I kind of watched him as he was young, and now he's lapped so many comics. It's amazing because he's super strong on stage, super strong. So he kills, and I got to go after him, right? Now, any other comic would do that, but I'm, I, I noticed what I noticed about his body language is he's not moving. He's just... It's all based off his writing. So the first thing I do is get on stage and start moving fast. So you're paying attention to what I'm saying. Like, oh, freak, why? we got to pay attention to this guy. We might miss something. So bringing the energy back up, learning how to pause everything else. And he's like, oh, wow, how much time did you do? As I did about 22 minutes. But, uh, <laughs> but it's good because we're not in competition with each other. It's the fact of bringing energy up and understanding like, okay, this crowd has been here for an hour and a half. It's 12 o'clock in the morning. How am I going to make this crowd do it? I need to pace myself. I need to bring high energy, then bring it low energy. And I was telling this comic, I said, sometimes as comedians, we think we're in competition with each other, but we're not. And the best thing you can do when a comic destroys in front of you is saying, keep it going for that comedian you just heard. Or clap it up for all the comedians you've seen. We are in this together. Let the crowd know, oh, he's, it's us. It's not about him. It's about us as a unit. So that show was great. Uh, Thursday Money was great as well. And then uh, Friday, dude, Friday I, I had to pass off on the show because I did this other show. It was like an online show with my friend Barry and Cam. And the only reason I did that because we're all from Tampa, and it just felt good talking to my friends I haven't talked to. And well, me and Cam talk all the time, you know, when we get the chance in Barry. But we do the show where you have, like, internet topics and everything else, and we just riffed it and roasted it. So I'll, I'll put the link in the description if you want to listen to it. It's Barry's show. It's called Not... What's it called? Not Famous Yet? Not Famous Yet. Or still ain't famous. Fame. Hold on, let me, just, let me Google it. It's called Fake Famous. Fake Famous. So we met Barry. Me and Cam were doing stand-up. Maybe we all been doing stand-up the same time. I've been doing it longer than them because I came from North Carolina. But Cam was very young in stand-up. I remember we used to sneak him into the, the Tampa Improv, and now he's lapped so many comics, and it's so amazing. He's the youngest comedian ever do a dry bar special. Uh, super funny, and Cam was one of the first guys that he came to New York with. I hit him up. I was like, do you want to go to New York for my spring break? He goes, yeah. How are we going to get there? I said, let's take a flight. I'll find. We'll find a place to stay. I find, hit up. <laughs> I hit up one of these stand-up comedians' ex-girlfriends, and I asked her. I was like, hey, we miss you so much. She goes, oh, my God. I was like, how's New York? She goes, New York is great. It's me, Vanessa. I said, wow, we miss her. I can't believe that you left in New York. She goes, yeah. And I'm like, how are you and Amanda doing? You know me and Amanda have broken up. I said, oh, wow. I said, wow. Y'all broke up? Dang, we love seeing you around comedy. Seeing you around comedy is everything. We love you. And she's, oh, we love you, too. I said, where do you live in New York? She goes, I said, dude, me and Cam want to come visit. Oh, my God, you want to come visit? Come stay at my house. Come stay at my house. I was like, Venus flytrap, got you. Yep. I said, we have no problem staying. And I said, don't worry. We won't be just lounging at your house. We'll be doing stand-up. We'll be moving around. We won't make it. We promise we won't do that. And she goes, no problem. So now we got a place to stay. I was like, all right, Cam, so now we just go. So me and Cam, we met all these comics at Side Splitter. So when these comics got to New York, we were just pulling up on like, Yo, what's up, man? We saw you here. Like, all right, come to this show. We're doing these underground shows. We're finessing our way. And this story that Cam spoke about on the show is like we're at Dangerfields. Rest in peace at Dangerfields. That club just recently closed down. One of the first comedi- first clubs in New York. The oldest, longest-running club in New York City is closing down due to COVID. So that's sad. You know, it's a staple. That's where Dice Clay made his iconic uh, album. That's where a lot of great comedians got their, you know, their starts at Dangerfields. It was like a place where road comics came. So me and Cam, uh, Andy at the time, freak, I, I got to say, F it, this is my story. Andy at the time goes, she's in Times Square, and these guys are barking tickets for Dangerfields. 
And she tells the guy barking, who's a producer, my friends are stand-up comedians from Florida. I'll come to the show if you let them do stage time. He goes, yeah, sure. And he's just, he's just saying whatever to get her to come to the show. She goes, yeah, they said they could come. So me and Ken go, we're going to go early and see if we can get on the show. So we go there at like 6 o'clock. Show's at 8. And we're ringing the doorbell. And this guy named Quentin, uh, he has like Villa Largo, but he wore makeup at the time. He goes, what do y'all want? I said, we're on the show at 7. He goes, so what the freak are you here for? I said, we just want to make sure. He goes, yeah, I don't see you on the list. I said, yeah, we're on the list. Julian said we can come. Julian, he said, Julian don't rush here. I said, do you? He goes, yeah. I said, well, we're on the show. He goes, y'all not on the show. I said, yes, we are. Call Julian and make it sure. So we're arguing with him. Next thing you know it, comes showtime. He goes, y'all coming in? I said, no, not until we get on the show. And there's nobody in the show. I was like, look, we'll bring 15 people if you let us do a set. He goes, really? I goes, yeah, we got all these people outside, and they're going to come. So we fake bark these people, and me and Cam, we finally got them inside. And he goes, all right, well, put it like this. He says, since y'all from Florida, I'll say this. Only one person can get on. And if one of you guys are funny, the next person can get on. So y'all do it. Now, we, me and Cam both looked at each other and said, hey, it don't matter who goes on. We know we're both getting on. And I said, we could flip a coin, heads or tails. And then we rock, paper, scissor. And I went up first, did well, and Cam went on. Because I'm like, look, we, st- we trusted so much with stand-ups. Like, it don't matter. I know both of us going to get on tonight. So that was me and Cam. And then Friday, uh, we go to the barbershop show. And barbershop show, Ronnie Lord, I r- runs the show, which is good. And we're talking. And, you know, we're talking about stuff. And he's just like, you know, the guest spot was between you and stuff. I didn't get on because I was doing that. I c- if I would have stayed, I would have got on the show, but I had to do this other show. But I was telling him, like, I said, look, there should never be a point where you should have to say between two black dudes to get a show. E- black dudes can both be on shows. You know what I mean? It's so only point. Like, I was talking to this comedian. His name is, is Eric. And he goes, hey, man. And this is what I, my pet peeve of people asking me stuff that you can figure out on your own. You know? I remember my dad, when I used to ask him stuff, he goes, figure it out on yourself. Figure it out, figure it out yourself. Find a way to do it, right? And that's the mindset I got. Like, I can't put my hustle into you. Like, comics hit me up, and he goes, Jared, what are the shows outdoors? And it's not hard. If you're on Instagram, you can find them, right? When Matthew hits me up, I was like, Google it. You're on Instagram. Look for the shows. It's so simple. Find a show. Go to it. That's how you get on. Support the show. Once they see your face, they realize you're a stand-up comic. Network, boom, get on. So this dude named Eric hits me up and goes, who are all the shows in the city? I sent him a list of shows. And then he writes me this long message saying, who are the bookers? Who are this? Who are this? Who are this? Who are this? What's this person's name? And I said, are you in this comedy scene or not? And he goes, uh, I'm not like you. I just got here. I said, you've been in New York for three years. How the freak did you just get here? I've been here four years. How do, what, what is, what's the problem? He goes, uh, it's, it's easy for you because you're American. And I said, and you're not American, so it's a whole lot easier for you to get on. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I have to produce a show. I have to do this. I have a, I have a marriage. I have this. I said, you don't think I got that? The freak is wrong with you, sir. And this is, you know, this is Jared, you know, this is spicy Jared because, you know, I can't, I hate when people try to diminish what you're doing because they're like, I have no, he, this is what he said to me that pissed me off, that just grinded my grand crackers. because I have no time to mingle bingo. I said, neither do I. I said, but I find time to find other shows. I said, the difference between me and you is, is my black skin. He goes, don't make it about being black. I said, it is. As a black comic, there's only probably one black person on the show or maybe two black people on the show. So instead of me waiting for another black person to get on the show, I move out to different scenes to find other places to get on. And I got to make sure I'm funnier than everybody so they can keep bringing me on the show. I said, so for you to tell me, and he goes, that's not true. I Look at my show. I booked two black people. I said, first of all, you booked me on your show, and you had the nerve to ask me to host your show. He goes, oh, you're a good host. I said, yeah, but if I would have hosted your show, that means there would have been no black people telling jokes on the show. Just people saying, hey, welcome to the show. He goes, oh, I didn't think about it like that. I said, because you don't, because you don't got this pigment, so you ain't thinking like me. When I go to a show, I'm looking at the people. He goes, because he's asking me to do my show. And I was like, nah. He's like, why? I said, there's too many people like you on the show. I said, my show, I want diversity. I want black, brown. I want LGP. I want everybody to be on the show. I want a real diverse show. And he's like looking at me, and then he goes, and then he goes, I didn't mean to offend you. I said, your privilege offends me. He goes, white, I said, not your white privilege, it's just your privilege to think that me and you are the same. For you to think that I'm going to, because he asked me, because I said, you need to get out of here and work, you know what I mean? And then he goes, that's what I got you for, and that's what granted my crown. I said, you don't got me, brother. I said, nobody got me but Jesus H. Christ. I don't know if Jesus' middle name is H. 
But I said, nobody can ask me about Jesus, man. And he goes, I you know what they mean. I was like, I don't know what you mean. I said, I'm not, I don't, I don't work for, I don't work for you. He goes, no, I'm just saying, like, help me. I was like, help you. You help yourself. I said, we're all in this pandemic together. Every comedian's at the same spot right now. Clubs are closed. We got to hustle. So this is the perfect time for people to rise up because I say that because all these younger comics have developed shows, have became players in the scene now because they realize there's a glitch in the matrix and everybody can start getting in. So when people hit me like, oh, Jerry, I see you on a lot of shows. I said, good, and I still want more. Frick, it's 40 minutes. Let's get up. Let's get up out of here. You know, I don't want to. Okay, Saturday. Saturday was cool. Uh, my friend Domo Jones, uh, she had this really great show, and it was funny because this guy named Sean Jackson. Dude, there's so many funny stand-up comedians that the world doesn't know that they're just freaking killers. Sean Jackson is from Philly, and uh, the ability to roast and the ability to read a room and the ability to kill in an urban black crowd is a hard thing. You know, you got to be on it. You got to hit. You got to be attentive to what's going on. And this guy was sleeping inside the front row, and this dude calls him a Devo. A Devo is a gay diva. That's what he called himself. And he falls asleep because he's tired. And Sean goes, <laughs> he goes, what gay dude put a, <laughs> what gay dude drugged this man to try to take him home? And everyone busts out laughing. And then he takes the ring light and shines it into this dude's face. And this dude wakes up. He goes, this dude been sleeping for 40 minutes, and he's in the front row. How, <laughs> who drugged him? <clears throat> so it's good. And then I run into Courtney B. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when I say these these comedians are stars, like it's about your presence, about the ability to light up a room. And every time Courtney B. walks in a room, I say, man, get this girl a show already, man. Her presence, she's just a star. Just a, <sighs> I love, I love stand-up comedy, man. I freaking love it. But, uh, so that was my week this Sunday. Today's Sunday. So Sunday I have four shows. I have actually four or five shows. The first show is at the Lower East Side. I'm doing the show at the Lower East Side at 1.30. Then at 2.30 I'm doing the show in Brooklyn inside the bar hotel. It's in a hotel. Let me, let me, let me look at it first. Let me look at it and see where it is. Excuse my, my tardiness. Okay, I'm doing four, four shows. This one is, okay. Let me read what it says. Oh, so the art... The Artel in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, New York. Then after that, at 4 o'clock, I have a show in Central Park. Then at 5 o'clock, I have a show in Queens. And I think I can get a fifth show. I think I can get a fifth show at 7 o'clock. I'm, keep, I'm not going to keep my fingers crossed. God controls my steps. So uh, that's my week of comedy. Uh, still rest in peace to my grandfather, uh, Bishop Bishop Joe J. Perry. And my cousins are taking it pretty hard. And my family is taking it hard. Not my, my mother, not my immediate family, but... Uh, they're still my family. My grandfather adopted a lot of kids, and, you know, that's their dad to them. And they are fighting amongst each other. And it's kind of funny because when country people fight, they think Facebook is the news. They think Facebook is the New York Times. So no one could read subs. So what happened was this guy, he's the, he's the drummer at my grandfather's church, and he writes, the funeral was good, but Grand, he said, Bishop Perry didn't want no quartet band. He wanted a live band singing. And my cousin goes, nigga, <laughs> it ain't about you. It's about my family. Then my other cousin pulls in, you better try Jesus because this is not the one, not the day. Then my sister jumps in. She goes, don't worry, I'll jump in. And me being just petty. Because uh, some girl wrote back to my sister's like, I can't stand you church folks. And I write underneath. I said, I, I really tried to understand what you say, but your eyelashes are too loud. And then I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could get petty like my family. But the thing about they're like, hold up, girl. He's a stand-up comic. Hold up. Hold up. Uh-uh. Watch out. That's the comedian. He'll really go at you. But rest in peace, Jay Perry, man. He didn't want all this. So the, just, you know, everybody, people are hurt. People are hurt. But uh, he lived a great, wonderful life. A great, wonderful life. Uh, I want to say happy birthday to my father. My father's name is, uh, I'm not going to say my father's name on this podcast because I'm going to get him on the podcast. But my dad turned 57 years old. And, yo, I never, sometimes as you get older, you realize having a black father in your life is everything, man. Like, I remember growing up, him being in the military, like being an officer, being slighted by different things. Or, or I remember my dad being an officer. And I was like, yo, dad, drive back around. That dude didn't salute you. He goes, what? I said, nah, drive that car back around. Get your salute in, pop. And he would laugh and goes, yeah, let's get that salute. And so seeing a black man be respected, a black man taking care of his family, a black man taking us around the world, 
a black man, I could freaking cry if I wasn't a thug, man. But I just, I just thank my dad for being a father, man. Sometimes as we get, as he gets older, you know, he tells me more and more. He's proud of me, and you know, you just don't want to let him down. Like my father was 28 years old, had four kids, four kids, a captain in the military, and just taking care of us, man. I remember going to when he got promoted, how I put on his ranks when he was. A major, so all those moments I remember, I remember like being proud of my dad, like, yo, dad, come on, we got to get the full bird, we got to get this, and put lieutenant colonel, and I remember this is most, most memories I got, most of the memories I have my dad is him spanking me, but as we get older, we became like buddies and stuff, but I remember I was doing, I was doing, uh, and back in the day, we had this thing called summer hire, where you could work, they would give high school kids jobs to work and make money over the summer, and you would work in all these military bases in Stalin in Japan. And I remember I got a job at his, at his battalion, like at his squadron. He's in charge of the comm squadron. He's a deputy commander there. And uh, everybody rock with him. So I'm doing it with this girl. And this dude goes, hey, uh, your name is Jared Waters? I said, yeah. He said, is your dad uh, Colonel Waters? And I said, yeah, that's my pop. He goes, man, let me tell you about your dad. Your dad is probably the smoothest smooth he don't make you feel stupid when you do something wrong man and i appreciate a nigga like that <laughs> that's what he said and i only say the n-word because i can and uh so these guys are all airmen they're telling me stories about him and then next you know it all of a sudden my dad's walking through with four guys in front of him and this guy yells like company hold everyone's quiet everyone gets that attention he'll stand up right now and my dad walks through and everyone's at attention and he's walking through and he walks up to this airman and he goes, Airman, da 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 da. No, he goes, Sergeant, da 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 da. Promotions come from above, but sometimes promotions come from God. And today I'd like to get honor you and say congratulations on passing your test. You've been promoted to Tech Sergeant. And everyone starts applauding. And then, as you know, he sends out and he tells everybody else. He goes, Don't stop at Tech, keep going, keep going, and everything else. And then he, he leaves, and everyone's at ease. And this guy looks at him, isn't that cool, man? Look at the power he got. And that was a moment where I was like, freak, man. You know what I mean? As a black man, we always want respect. We want to be respected because our respect is being taken by people in authority. Like when you're the police officer, the police officer pretty much takes your respect. A lot of people can't handle how the police can demean you and talk to you, talk down to you and stuff like that, some police officers. But in the military, color was respected. The rank was respected. You know, even though there are probably people who hated that he was in charge of them, the rank was respected. When I dropped my dad's rank sometimes, like, ooh, your dad is what? I remember one time we're sitting in the airport, sitting in the airport, and uh, we're catching a hop. Like a military hop is when you're, like, catching a cheap flight somewhere. And this white dude's telling him about his accomplishments, how he's, just, how he's a tech sergeant and all the stuff that he's done, how much time he's put in the military. And he goes, I got this rank, I got this, I got this rib and everything else. And my dad's just listening to him. He goes, yeah, that's good. I'm proud. Good, good. He goes, how long you been in? He goes, my dad's like, I've been like 17. Oh, so what are you, like master sergeant, senior master sergeant? And he goes, "Mine, I'm lieutenant colonel. He goes, oh, my God, sorry, colonel. Oh, my God, sorry. Dude, I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. No, 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 it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. You're just so relaxed. You're just so chill. He goes, yeah, yeah, lieutenant colonel. He's an LTC or something like that. Next, you know, that dude shut up real fast. I said, yeah. I said, yeah. And me and my brother's like, talk that talk, pop. Talk that talk, pops. <laughs> But uh, my dad, my dad, man, he really brought me, he made me, introduce me to stand-up comedy, man. I remember being a 10. I always was a funny kid, but he, when DVDs started coming out, he bought these Sanford and Son DVDs. And every Saturday, we would, write, we would watch seasons together. <coughs> we watched Sanford and Son seasons, man. And I was like, that's my dad, like, what else did Red Fox do? He was like, he's a comedian. And that's when, like, Napster was big, so I... Got on the dial-up computer, got on Napster, downloaded every Red Fox album. <clears throat> I learned almost every joke, and I would tell his jokes at school all the time. Dirty jokes, I would get in trouble. And uh, yeah, man, it was you know it's uh, you know as a black man, it's hard raising you know black black kids. You know we got in a lot of trouble. My dad was trying to raise millennial kids as a baby boomer, and it's hard because we were technology. We questioned everything. So when he told me, so I was like, nah. But my dad. You know, it's parts of my dad, parts of me that my father probably doesn't know, because I grew up completely different. He grew up in a, a Christian household. Some things I couldn't express, 
So I developed into another type of man that they probably don't know. It's probably, you know, when I tell these stories on the podcast, like, I didn't know my son did that. And it's like, yeah, I was wild. But to my pops, Colonel Waters, man, I appreciate you. Happy bu- happy bu- birthday. I wish him on his birthday. I had to tell him. I had to call him. And I was like, yo, why, why do you got your wall off on Facebook? He goes, what? Yeah, I got to prove everything. I said, people can't wish happy birthday because your wall is up. All right, let me call you back. Let me call you back. But uh, that's my dad. And uh, I just want to tell him I appreciate him. I'm going to get him on the podcast. Shoot, I should get him on the podcast. I'm going to get him my dad on the podcast and talk to him. I'm going to get him his head. But, uh, yeah, my name is Jared Waters. This is the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. Uh, these are This is me alone on the hill, me telling my week and my thoughts. Uh, to my great-great-grandkids that ain't there yet, this is your grandfather speaking. And uh, he's a stand-up comic. He's in New York City. He's fighting. He's surviving. He's doing what he got to do. Uh, if you want to talk to your grandmother, she's sleeping right now. But this is the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. Uh, to my dear friend, Garrett McCall, a.k.a. Roland Doja, please take us out with a theme song, sir. Hey, you're live on the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. Say what up to the people. Now, this is when I see black excellence. It's Kenan Thompson. And I see this giant butt. I'm like, oh, who is that? Turns out it's Questlove. It's Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock. Eddie Murphy, and they're all sitting at the table, and I walk up to Eddie Murphy, and I was like, hey, Mr. Murphy, I just want to say you're the goat, man. You're the coldest that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over. She wants it private, but they're not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'm be the next Jamar Neighbors. Yeah. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jared Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.